0: The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute.
1: Okay, good afternoon everyone. Um, I missed you guys, we haven't seen each other in a while. So today's topic is um, not necessarily in that order, Madoff, Ponzi schemes and investment advisor liabilities. Or we can change the order if you'd like. Good afternoon. Um, So, um, as we know, these past couple of
2: years,
1: napkin please. These past couple of years have not been so good for um, investors, particularly, in Houston, we've had our own, our own Madoff. Um, what was the name? The guy across the street? Uh, it's not across the street. He's in the Stanford, right. And uh, there's a lot of questions. Obviously, the question where we want to discuss today is liability on the part of investment advisors. Meaning, not in the sense of when there's a question of of. Um, wrongful intent, if the person had wrongful intent, there's no question. Um, that, that's, not what that's not an ethical <laughs> dilemma at all. And there's no real question. Either. In that scenario, obviously, the person would be liable if he did something um, with wrongful intent. The question is, when there was no wrongful act that was committed, no fraud, no willful intent, um, this guy really thought he was giving you good advice as your investment advisor, and things go sour. Either um, it's just a bad investment, or many times, um, as over the past couple of years, there's actual cases where he um, gives the money to another money manager who then commits fraud, but not, he unknowingly did not know that the second money manager was was a scheme. Um, so again, there was no willful intent there, and the question really becomes is there liability on the part of of the investment advisor um, to that somehow we can hold him liable and, and there's recourse to collect funds that were lost we only i think we only have one investment advisor in the room you one mark used to be used to be, used to be. okay why'd you get out huh? did you get out because <laughs> of the I library? Caught cheating. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay Just kidding. so billy yes you want to you, you want to plug your company before we start <laughs> because afterwards you're not going to <laughs> oh, well <laughs> you work for yourself.
3: What, what can I say? The, uh, you work for yourself? You work for. Your... I work, uh, I'm the founders of the company, and, and uh, what's the name? It's called Abicab. Uh, Abicab Asset Management, and what you know, this this all these things impact us. And with uh, new and potential investors, they they say, how do we know you're not a Madoff and you're not a uh, you're not a Stanford, and it's. Uh, it's, it's easy and stuff. I mean, there's some very clear differences, and there's some things that they were doing wrong, uh, or things that raised red flags that, that people should notice. noticed. Uh, but, you know, anytime you give someone your money, it's a little act of faith. And, and you know, people say, how do we know you're not going about And it's, uh, and uh, we have internal controls, and so on and so forth, so it's, um, so, you know, we, we can get into that. But, you know, the thing, the thing that was clear about Madoff and, well, Stanford. Two things. One is they is they were essentially their own brokers, so 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 they were doing their own trades, and there was no outside company that they're doing the trades to monitor to them. Because you know ours go through Goldman Sachs, and there's almost no way we can. I can't even think of a way we can manipulate that if we wanted to. I don't know. These. I don't know
1: if, this, don't know if I'd say that. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, if I'd I, say that these.
3: Well, no. Goldman Sachs <laughs> does those other things, and, and there are parts of Goldman Sachs which I think are criminal. But but their brokerage operation. You know, if we trade Microsoft. You know, we can't get them fool them to think we we traded Microsoft when we didn't and pocket no. the money. It's impossible, <laughs> essentially. And the other thing is is real investment people don't have consistent returns. You know, both Madoff and Stanford, yeah. they were, you know, it was the same every single month. They were getting X percent, X percent, X percent, and no real world investor. Ever can do. It, you know, it's, it's Saying that's difficult. a red flag in itself. That's not, and there are many others. But
1: you know, there's a lot of. Uh, okay, lot so of we'll, we'll talk about that. So, okay, so let's let's deal with some scenarios here, just to understand what the question we're trying to to answer. So, scenario one: client invests with a broker who was we're on first page here. that one, what? Okay client invests with a broker who is supposedly managing certain assets, and unbeknownst to him, the money manager invested in another fund, which became investment gone bad due to fraudulent activity, perpetrated by a second money manager. How does Jewish law address this situation? That's question number one. I don't know, by the way, anything about the legal aspects of it, so if anyone wants to help us out here. You know, as far as what we're going to discuss and contrasting that with the secular law, um, you can help us out because I, I just know about the Jewish. Don't know the other part. Um, and the question here is, is obviously obvious question: Is there a liability? Is he liable? Meaning, the first, um, the first broker is he liable for providing bad advice in the sense of where to put your money? He he made that decision, or he told him that, maybe even notified him. Didn't know in this case. I think I already didn't notify him. But uh, the point is, is that you know, considered giving bad, bad advice in the sense of that there would be a liability, um, and legal recourse. That's question, scenario number one. Scenario number two, the terms of the offering memorandum allowed the first manager sh- to choose a second one, so it was clear in the whatever, contract or whatever. However, the disclosure works, um, with with an investment banker to choose a second one, so clearly stated that, but the memorandum stipulated that the first manager would continue to monitor the activities of the second manager, so how does this provision impact upon halacha, which is Jewish law? And I think, like like Billy mentioned, the question is if there were obvious red flags that the investment banker should have seen, um, like you're saying in the case of Madoff and, and Stanford, does that make him more liable in that situation where clearly there was red flags that he should have picked up? Um, potential red flags or actually, you know, things that, that happened that you should have noticed. So that would be, that's scene number two. And then just in general, a question, when you're dealing with an investment banker, most, many of the conversations are over the phone, um, or sometimes there'll be an email, but probably usually better over the phone. Right, so the questions are ca- casual conversations and predictions between a broker and client sufficient to establish a duty of care. More um, not? what do you say, Billy? To the last one. Billy, what do you say to that? The last quiz, is that legally, how does that work? It's casual conversation.
3: Uh, I don't have casual conversations about
1: these things. I <laughs> I mean, there is um, no such thing as a casual conversation well, with a the broker.
3: Shouldn't, there shouldn't be. Um, well, it, depends, it depends what you think the client would do with that with that information.
1: Sure.
3: I think I think the question is what's reasonable that they would do with that information. We just asking a general question, and and uh, and it's just general interest. Yeah, but if you think there's a high likelihood, if it's reasonable, it's a high likelihood, someone would take some money and, and act on it. That's
1: uh, so that that automatically you're saying establishes
3: it establishes duty of care. I mean, and also what you have is is there may not be duty of care because um, I mean I'm not a broker, but what, what people do to their brokers is they get ideas from their brokers and then they go trade them on on. Uh, on a discount program, right. so they kind Online. of steal the ideas. So if they kind of do that, that's, I think that's on them.
1: And the, and the, and um, the, on the on the investment. Right.
3: For, for stealing the idea and if right. it doesn't work, Obviously. they can't go back yes. and That's so. true. I think presently the distinction between like a
0: financial advisor and a and a stockbroker. I think a financial advisor has a fiduciary duty with respect to his client, but brokers right now
3: they don't. Even though a lot of times. Stock brokers are, are selling money management services very, very similar to the way, like an independent financial advisor does. Well, what are
1: you saying? Broker is not, is has no, duty of care. Well, he has a
0: lower, lower duty. I mean, it's not a fiduciary duty like
3: a, a, a trustee to put the mm-hmm. interest of the client before. He's just doing the sales. I'm just saying that's the way the law is currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my understanding of it. And, again, in scenario one and two, I'd say the, the money manager is definitely liable because they're basically these type of people selling their services saying, we're going to pick other, you know, we have knowledge, you don't, so we will we will be your advisors your, uh, and say, we're going to allocate money here, here, and here. It's up to them to really look. And so up to you, who? To the client? Up, no, up to the money manager to do a good job. And if he gets fooled by Madoff, I think it's he is liable. Because, because he's selling—that's his expertise that he's selling. Those type of people. But, but I, I guess I would argue, something like I argue, I'd argue that it's possible on the other side if,
0: that if he does such a, if Madoff does such a good job uh, with this fraud that that the guy did his due diligence to try to verify what he did and, and what he came up with made sense,
3: then then I don't think he would be liable. I, I think so because those guys are middlemen they're saying, and they're getting very fat fees for saying, putting their people's money into Madoff, and they, so so you're right to expect them to have the expertise to
1: do it. Uh, yeah, but expecting them doesn't mean that there's actually a liability there and on their, on their, on their well, well, there wait, they, wait, clearly, talking, again, there's no willful intent. We're not talking about right, a there, case where It, it
3: wasn't was, willful intent, but it's, it's kind of a negligence, because a lot of them were lazy. I mean, you, you, they were <laughs> lazy. They, they kind of relied on statements and didn't really dig in. And so mm-hmm. uh, I don't have a lot of sympathy for, for those people who led Madoff to a of I mean, you're talking about that particular instance with, with
0: those particular mm-hmm. facts where he consistently high returns, that that was a
4: red flag. I'm just saying that there is probably Lydia. a case that's, that's not, where
0: the facts aren't that right. uh, clear, where the guy might not be held liable. That maybe he did do all of his due diligence and he just didn't. Right.
1: Well, that, I guess that could be that's part of the, the dilemma here.
0: And, and even where you did the due diligence where you know you're the investment advisor and you've uh, called the SEC and they give it let's stay on Madoff. they give give him a clean bill of health and you've googled him and you see that he's been head of this, that, and
3: the other. Well I'll, I'll tell you how um, it really works. It, what what really happens is is they just want to cover their tushies. that the, the kind of middlemen, the, the investment advisors. And so what they will do is they will if they see, and this is what happens with Madoff, he, he gets one or two big money managers to put money in. He tells prospective money managers, well look, I have him and him. They do a little due diligence but what they're really comfortable about is that there are the other, other two. People. So it's a herd mentality so they can always say, well I was fooled but these guys were fooled too. So they don't really, a lot of them don't really do their own work. And there were a few people who Who's shot away from me off and, and even notified the SEC. But for the most part, there's a very, there's a big herd mentality, and, and they always feel if there there are other people
1: in it, they're they're safe. It's good for I mean, them. They, they it's good them. Them as well. and it
2: occurs to me that the United States government is also at fault in this matter because there was one man I understand from the SEC who who saw that there was something wrong in this whole setup. It was too much money paying. Uh, put into this fund and too much money that was being given back to people at big interest rates and particularly in, in light of what was happening in the market. And uh, uh, this man quit the SEC, as I understand, and discussed because he understood he right. what was happening, that this, this is- this Right, but no, again, so the, well,
1: the, there's uh, no question, there's a lot of blame to go around. The question is who's liable, at the end of the day, who's, who's liable, that's the issue.
2: Well, today, in front of the United States Senate, uh, I'm not the Senate, maybe the House. There's going to be a vote on just the one item that's so important, and that's just these derivatives. And I am hoping and praying that they do something really important in the, in, you know, in, in regulating uh, these these uh, oversights.
1: Okay, so let's see. Let's see what the what the Torah has to say about it. As usual, I don't think we're going to come up with a clear answer at the end of today. So don't get excited. Um, but let's let's see what. What, this is what I came up with that's relevant to, to this topic. So the first thing is, this is something, the first source is something we have discussed many times in the past, which is that there's an explicit verse in the Torah, um, in Leviticus, which says, it actually was this past week's Torah portion that we read in, in the synagogue, Parashat Kedoshim, where it says, um, the Hebrew is, lefnei ver lo titen mechshol, front of a blind person, you shall not place a stumbling block. Okay, and that's, that's uh, we've, I think we've discussed it many, many times in the past. I won't get into all the details, but basically, the, in a literal sense, it means don't put a banana peel in front of a blind guy. Um, and that's, that is a biblical violation, by the way, in case you think of doing that. But also, um, in the broadened sense, the Talmud takes that concept and says it's referring to not only um, literally a blind person, but it means someone who, one scenario, is spiritually blind, meaning you can't assist someone... Um, to sin, if someone doesn't know spiritually what's proper, what's right or not, um, that's one sense, but also the Talmud expands it to mean giving bad advice, that means if someone is blind, they don't know what to do, and they come to you and ask you for advice, okay, and you intentionally give them bad advice, let's say they they ask you, um, should I sell the house, should I sell my house, should I sell my property, and you want that property, so you advise them even though financially it's probably best for them not to sell it, you wanted to put it on the market so you can go and, and get up scoop up that property so that would be intentionally that would be a violation of this biblical law called you're placing a stumbling block in front of the blind they don't know the markets they don't understand what to do and now you're giving them advice um intentionally bad advice okay so that would be a, a clear violation of this concept and that's the second quote um, from the medrash the says what does it mean before a blind person now, this is one of the interpretations, again, there's, there are a few violations of this. It says, in front of someone who is blind regarding a matter, any matter, if he takes, that's type wrong, typo there, if he takes uh, advice from you, you shall not provide an answer that is improper for him. Okay, so intentionally giving bad advice is a biblical violation. In any, in any uh, scenario, by the way, this is even for someone's dating someone, and they come, and you happen to know the person they're dating, and they ask you, you know, what's the story? Should I, should I continue dating this woman, this man? and you know that there's issues there, and you don't tell them, again, you're giving bad advice. You tell them, yeah, she's a great great girl. So that's also a violation. So this really is applicable not just, obviously, in business matters. It's in all matters. Um, So clearly it's forbidden to give bad advice, Um, intentional, again, intentional bad advice. If you thought you were giving good advice, then, of course, you're not in violation. But, um, as in many violations of the Torah, there's no recourse, meaning just because it's forbidden, obviously bad advice is 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 forbidden doesn't mean there's a judicial remedy that you can if you did give bad advice and the person acted on your advice. That doesn't mean you can go ahead and now um, try to re, uh, have some recourse and get back that money. If he advised you advise you a bad business investment, um, right. based just on just this a, itself, there's no there's no judicial remedy. Yes.
0: Just as a real life observation on giving advice yes. in, in uh, dating, uh, when you tell tell somebody that there's an issue with who they're dating and that person ends up being their spouse later on you can, be, you can rest <laughs> assured you will not be on the dinner party list and <laughs> yes, that a, impression will get shared that is and true so one should proceed
1: right no but true but you still if it's a good that. friend and you really care about him you need to sometimes you need to speak the truth um, mm-hmm. even at risk to mm-hmm. your friendship and future friendship I've been in those situations as a rabbi you put there actually that this is um next week it's i don't want to plug my own class but next week actually i'm doing for attorneys which is suing a rabbi clergy male practice um which is a similar actually very similar to this issue that's why I chose to do it together because it's the same question is there a liability for a rabbi if he gives bad advice he gives people come to for marriage counseling and you give the wrong advice and then later on they come back and they want they want recourse he gave me bad advice or bad business advice so it's a similar question there, not, not that rabbis are investment advisors, spiritual investment advisors, but the, you have the same question, and the, many rabbis today carry this insurance um, for- they carry malpractice insurance? I, I don't know specific rabbis. I know as Torch we have malpractice insurance um, in general for the organization, um, but I'm not sure what it covers, if it covers bad advice, I, I, I never looked up that. But there is an issue,
0: how do you- the morning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, no, there's, there's, as an opera I think we're required to have it, actually, um, if you have a board, um, because well, the board doesn't want to act, the board of directors doesn't want to get sued, they so they have want to... It, but I don't know how we can. Right, so I'm not sure how that works. Right. Have to. Yes. But in any case, no, there's also, there's a, and there's a whole issue of breach of confidentiality with rabbis, let's say, Rabbi, should he breach in cases where, let's say, like you're saying, he knows something about, someone's dating someone, in the, one of his congregants, he knows something about that person, should he, is he obligated? Should he breach confidentiality, should he not? Something was told to him in confidence. better
0: not.
1: Yeah, but if they get married and this person has AIDS, okay, you're gonna, I don't, you know, how could you not tell them? If you're dating someone who you know has a communicable disease, you got, <laughs> you're not gonna tell them?
3: You probably aren't gonna
0: know
1: that. You never know what rabbis know. You'd be surprised <laughs> what rabbis know. Yeah. deadly disease? <laughs> Anyway, so that's that's next week. If you're interested in suing your rabbi, come to next week's class. Um, so, so uh, but but getting back to this, so so the point here is that even though there's clearly it's forbidden to give bad advice, there's no question about that. That's a biblical prohibition. As we're saying, um, bad advice is forbidden. But um, again, the the advisor is not liable. Meaning, in a case where someone gave bad advice, just because it was forbidden, which is very clear. That doesn't necessarily make the person liable and there's really no judicial remedy as far as this prohibition is concerned Um, And the reason is it's the concept is, is a very important concept to understand in all in Jewish tort law in general It's there's something called grama or garmi, which is which is I think we've mentioned here in the past Which is if I just cause a loss, but I didn't actually Do a direct act to cause your loss. That's not called. There's no obligation of damages, even though of course Normally, if I go ahead and, and break your windshield, right, I take a baseball bat, smash your windshield, in, I have to pay for it. But let's say um, I don't know what the case would be: if there was an indirect cause that caused it to break. In law, in law, it's called a proximate
3: cause. That's, the one that's okay.
1: liable, and you are talking about not proximate. And, my, and not proximate is not liable. Right. Right. So yeah. I don't know if it has the same criteria, yeah, you know, but similar chain of events. And, right. And exactly. Right. So, so, so in many cases like that. Um, for example, even though the Talmud discusses, even, and actually relevant to, to investing, let's say I destroy your stock certificates, okay? So now those, inherently, they had no monetary value, right? The certificates themselves are not worth anything. So even though I went ahead and destroyed them, now, and you don't have no proof, whatever, whatever the scenario is, you have no proof, let's say, you can prove that you own those stocks anymore, so there's a big monetary loss to, to you, and I caused that loss, but again, that wasn't, that wasn't direct since I didn't destroy anything of value. That would be one example that the Talmud talks about, destroying um, contracts or documents. So there's no inherent value in a a document. It's worth the piece of paper it's written on, value-wise. And therefore, that would be a a case where the Talmud talks about, let's say, I burn a check. Okay, take your check and burn it. So there's no inherent value, I don't think. Um, I don't know how the monetary system works, but there's there's no inherent value to that check. It's a piece of paper telling you that the bank owes you X amount of money, right? But there's no, that check itself, that document has no inherent value. That would be a, a classical case that Talmud deals with, indirect cause. If you look at the bottom here, quote number four, if you skip down to four, that's, that's another classical case that Talmud talks about. Is, and, and it sounds strange. It doesn't sound so PC, but, but this is what the Talmud says. Ra- Rabbah said, in the case of one throwing a vessel, this is a famous case. Um, I actually experienced this if you live in New York. Um, and you live on a high floor when the movers come. So many times they don't want to take the furniture that doesn't fit in the hall, you know, very small. So they actually put, like, some kind of, uh, you know, mattress down at the bottom, some kind of foam thing, and they throw stuff out the window. It's New York City, if you live in the in the city. So this is the case in the Talmud, where it says someone was throwing a vessel from the top of the roof while there are mattresses down at the bottom, cushioned the fall. So he was throwing stuff down, mattresses down at the bottom, and uh, if someone's walking by, and he... As the thing's in the air, he pulls out the mattress. Okay, so the thing smashes to the ground, smashes into pieces. So Talmud says, uh, even though you think that's considered, he destroyed the object. It says even if he had thrown or removed them himself, there is an exemption. The reason is that at the time of the throwing of the vessel, his agency had been void of any harmful affla- effect. Okay, so the guy that was throwing it off when he threw it out the window, it was going to land on the mattress. Everything would have been fine. Okay, so. So uh, the guy coming down now taking the mattress, he's not considered. That's not considered a direct damage. as Talmud says, and he's not liable to pay for the pay for the object. Okay. The guy who threw it off. Well, both. It's actually both. The, the guy, guy threw who, it the off. The guy sure. who moved the mattress. Yeah, it, it says also. Uh, that's it's debatable, but let's assume for, at this point, fragments. He
4: didn't sake,
1: up. He wasn't liable. All I did was pull away a mattress. I didn't do anything wrong. I to move the mattress. See a mattress on the floor? (laughs) Okay, so he says, um, so that's what the the Talmud says. So that's another, that's a classical case of what we call grama, which is again, it's causation, it's indirect. And anything, by the way, anything that happens, it's good to know this, and even a, a sin, if you do an act, an indirect act, which is only causation, even murder technically, um, you're not, you're liable. Actually, in murder, it might be different. You're considered a murderer, but it's not a capital crime. Ca- causation is always, well, what was the word you used, Billy? Non um, proximate. Prax- non-proximate.
0: Yeah, intervening cause or something.
1: Right. So it always laws. brings it down one level, yeah. even if in certain cases you might be liable, it'll still bring it in. Damages, like we're saying, you're not liable, clearly. In murder, it would be considered murder, but it wouldn't be a capital crime. If, let's say, I caused someone to be killed without actually killing, okay, <laughs> hire a hitman or a sick uh, lion on him, my Doberman. So so that wouldn't be a capital crime in, in Jewish law. It would be cause you caused him to die, but it's not full-fledged murder in that sense, okay? So here we're talking about, let's stick to the damages. So, that's, so as far as that's concerned, that would explain why there's really, like we're saying, no judicial remedy as far as the fact that you gave bad advice. The problem is, uh, if quote number three here, in light of that, um, we need to understand this quote, which is a quote, again, from the Talmud, Tracted Babakama, which is the, the tractate dealing with all types, all the tort law. So it says there, if one shows a dinar, which was the uh, type of currency at the time, in uh, Mesopotamia, Babylonia at the time, um, a dinar to a money changer, in order to determine, this is before they had bankers, I guess, and uh, the money changers were the one who knew the currency. So you show him this, this dinar, you're doing a deal with someone, and you want to make sure that the money's not counterfeit. Okay. So counterfeiting is not a new trade. It's been around for thousands of years. So he shows him the dinar, and he says to determine whether it's good so that he may accept it, um, should he accept it or not in this deal, in this business deal he's doing. And the guy says, the money changer tells him it's fine, it's a perfect uh, dinar, it's not counterfeit, it's good to go. And this guy goes ahead and does the deal, and he gets thousands of dinars. So the Talmud continues, it turns out to be bad. So what happens now if it turns out to be bad? So there's, it brings two opinions. It says, one, Brightest states that if he's an expert, he's absolved from liability for recurring damage resulting from his advice, while if he's a layman, meaning if the money changer wasn't an expert uh, money changer, just a guy who's doing it on the side, black market, whatever the case is, so then he's not liable, okay, which sounds the opposite of conventional wisdom, saying the expert is not liable, the lay person would be liable if he gave him bad advice about the, whether it's counterfeit or not. That's one, Bright that continues. However, another brighter states he is liable regra- regardless of whether he's an expert or layman. Okay, If Papa stated the statement that an expert is exempt from liability relates to those like Danko and Isser, who, these were two expert uh, money changers, who have no need for further training. So what, so what was their error? They erred in appraising a new coin which recently had been minted. Okay, so how could they err if there were such experts? So like, as you know, they're printing a new $100 bill with Obama's picture, I mean with... Uh, um, who's the picture on it? Franklin. Still Franklin. Franklin. Okay. Um, and uh, and you know, the people. The, they, the reason they're doing it is because of the counterfeiters. So if someone hasn't seen the new hundred-dollar bill and they assess it, you know, so it's not the, again. There's no negligence there because they didn't know it had just come out. Whatever the case was. Yeah,
4: but one would say, I've never seen that before. I have no idea.
1: Oh, um, it's a good point. So so.
0: And if anything, the expert's held to the higher standard, not the lower. The yeah, high, I understand expert. that. Right. So, so this yeah. is, the is problematic. Expert is supposed to know and uh,
3: I I mean, an didn't
1: expert. know. Right. right. So 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 the way I understand, I don't know the answer to your question. I don't know, um, but the answer. So the way I understand the first part, meaning the first brighter, which is saying that the expert is is not liable and the. Um, and the layperson is liable. So first of all, you understand the analogy I'm going to try to make here. Obviously, this is the question here as it refers to an investment banker, an advisor, um, can we apply these same rules? So, so the, the way I understand the logic is that if someone is a professional, is an expert in the field, and they're advising you whether it be stocks or, or other forms of investments, in this case counterfeit bills, so they're there's no negligence on their part. The fact that they're trained properly, and they they did their best, and there was no ill intent, as we said. Um, assuming again, there was no red flags. That's a different issue. Assuming they did their due diligence and they did the right thing, and they made a mistake, so they're not liable. They didn't do anything. There was nothing. There was no negligence on their part. If a layperson, if if let's say someone comes to me for investment advice, and and I give them investment advice, that's negligence on my part because. I don't know anything about the markets and, you know. What about the person who's asking? So I think that's a good question, but the point is that, that that's the way I understand the first statement here, meaning the fact, it's against conventional wisdom, but it makes sense if you think about it, the fact that a lay person is giving advice on something that he shouldn't be, that's negligence, okay? If the expert is giving advice, so he's doing his job, He's supposed that's what he does, he does and, and there's risk involved, sometimes you give advice, you might give wrong advice, but when you have a layperson, or, or in my case, let's say, a rabbi, giving advice somewhere they shouldn't be, and I can tell you, I'm guilty of this. Um, in, in different scenarios, um, people come to me for marriage counseling. You know, what do I know about marriage? I don't know. That, but, uh, but the point is, <laughs> right? So, being taped, right? <laughs> So, as I'm saying, I read a couple of books to so it. No, I'm not sure, seriously speaking. It's bother it's, it's a problem today. Every rabbi, most. I'd say a good part of rabbis' jobs today is dealing with, you know, marriage counseling, and most rabbis are not trained in the field, and it's and maybe they should be. That's a, it's a different point, but the point is that, that, you know, sometimes I'm thinking, why are they coming <laughs> to me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, you I'm not. You defer to your wife. You know, you're <laughs> smarter. <laughs> that's that's a good point. I do that. Um, but the point is that uh, no, I'm saying so. So there is a negligence on the, on behalf of someone. Who, someone comes to you for advice, and you don't really know. You don't know the right advice to give them, and you give them advice, especially when you're when you're dealing with investments. So then that there, there's negligence. And that's what I think the first bright uh, That's how we're interpreting the first bright as opposed as a, as opposed to the expert, who he is doing his job. I mean sometimes mistakes happen, you can make the wrong choice. There's risk involved. Obviously in any investment there's gonna be risks and, and the fact that he made the wrong choice doesn't, doesn't make him negligent and therefore doesn't make him liable for recourse that the person to collect their money. Yes?
4: Like, Would this case be somebody who's going to a layman and the layman knows that whatever information he gives over, he's gonna act on that? So like, if the layman knows that he, you're gonna make a decision based on what I say, and
1: only what I say. Right, so we're going to talk about that. Right, that's a good I'm sorry, I'm sorry if I offended you. <laughs> um, okay, so, so that's so a good point, meaning clearly the second part of the seems to be saying something totally different, which is more along the lines, I think, that we would have thought. So so there's a few, uh, there's obviously a lot of discussion about this post talmud um, with all the commentaries discussing this, and up until um, the Shulchan Ar, the Code of Jewish Law, there's a lot of various interpretations of how to interpret this little piece here, when it comes to giving bad, um, bad advice, um, bad investment advice specifically when it comes to money. So the first thing is, first way to understand is it's somewhat of a contradiction because we hear again saying in the in this quote number two we said on the sheet is you're not liable. You give someone bad advice, there's no judicial recourse, there's nothing, there's no remedy. You can't do anything about it. And then here, very clearly we're we're changing that um, to say that uh, in this part at least it seems to be saying you are liable. So, so what's, how do we answer, so to speak, the contradiction? Um, so the, the first, I guess the easiest way out, some would say that this is talking about casual, like we're saying, casual advice, you know, like you said, it really doesn't exist, maybe in the investment world, but between friends it does or, you know, sometimes, of course you have this when the guy's, I'm sure you've had this, You guy's an investment banker or whatever he does, and someone comes over to him in the synagogue, sits down next to him and tries to, you know, get some advice off the record, you know, without having to pay for it. That happens often in synagogues, oh, uh, a unfortunately. A medical doctor. Yeah, a medical doctor, for sure. Um, so so there's no question. Um, so in, in that case, what we're saying is maybe you wouldn't be liable, as opposed to in a professional setting, where clearly, um, where you're giving professional advice, where, again, you're sort of there's that, uh, that duty of care, once you're in that professional setting, that's where you would be liable. Uh, maybe that would be one one way to answer it. But but they're basically what I found in the various commentaries. There are four determining factors. Again, I think it's based on what Jeff was saying that if clearly there there was a reliance here, meaning that it's clear that the the investor was relying solely on this on this guy for advice for his investment, um, that that would make the the advisor liable. Okay, and they they speak about the commentaries. Speak about 4K four. Um, determining different determining factors again there are they seem to be arguing with each other what would be a determining factor to know whether this person clearly is relying on the on the advice on the investment advice so these are the four I wrote down the four different um, types of factors of criteria one is a would be explicit expression of reliance meaning so if, obviously if they sign a contract saying this and I'm solely relying on you to to take the money invested etc cetera, etc cetera, which I don't know if there is how does that work? Um, do you sign a contract when someone comes? Oh, as we, a
3: we, we, what we do is we actually invest money directly. So so people put it into our fund and we invest it. So we don't. But, give but advice. is there any? Oh, you don't give advice. We don't we don't give advice. We take. Money give it and the money? Invest it, and and what we do is our money's in it too. So it's a common pool. So mm-hmm. uh, so we don't give advice. The only advice we give is invest with us. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> That,
1: and what it, but I'm saying, is it contractual? How does it work oh, yeah, when, you, when a client comes in? Yeah, they
3: sign a <clears throat> big stack of things that are lawyers prepared, yeah. So it is contractual and... and
1: uh, right, so I yeah. don't know how this would work yeah. practically. He, right. um, what what they seem and to I, be I saying in is... In most cases,
3: that. there is something that people sign even in
1: a different type of relationship where... So, that's, so your scenario is more like power of attorney. They're giving you their money and saying you can do whatever you want? with right. In a certain sense? Right,
3: and yeah.
1: Okay. So, here, what they seem to be saying if somehow if there's an explicit expression of reliance and saying, mm-hmm. solely I'm relying on this advisor in that scenario, um, then, uh, then clearly the, the advisor would be liable in, in if there's a loss. Okay? Um, B is apparent reliance based on the circumstances. Sometimes just by, um, um, let's say it's obvious, oh, okay. for example. Okay. Yeah. That's, Sorry.
3: That's
0: not- Quite right. Where where you reach the conclusion if there's a loss, because if they've invested with you mm-hmm. and they've relied on you, there could still be a loss. He's not liable.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, I, I don't so mean. Uh, you're life. right. I don't mean just any loss. Right. You know that they there was a risk involved. Obviously, you may that's have also been disclosed. Six
0: percent. Right. Year and up fourteen. Next. Right. Right. So you're, and, and, and there's no said, liability. Right. 100 exactly. percent. Right. Clearly, you know,
1: everyone. Clients. I think every investor sh- knows. I hope every investor knows that there's going to be risk involved in your investment. Right. Right, so we're not talking about the, the normal risk. I, I think we're talking about a case scenario where they put their money in something, which again, they're turning fraudulent. I think, I think the key thing oh.
3: about what they sound best, and I think what lawyers for all types of advisors signed is, is, that, is that it's clear what's being done with money. So so for us, it's clear that we will invest it directly. <laughs> we would never give it to someone else to, to manage. And I, think, and I think with the other type of advisors, it's it's clear because their lawyers have made it clear that they're going to take the money
1: and, and give, give it, give it to, to some.
3: Madoff and Stanford and, and Morgan mm. Stanley and so on and so forth. And I think that sets up a reliance of their expertise. Yeah. And, and again, there's an acceptance that those may go down because investments can go up or down. But there's no, but again, there's no acceptance you know, of if you, you,
1: you lose everything. everything, meaning yeah. the normal yeah. risk wouldn't be that there's fraud involved. Right. Right. So, so that's where they're, they're kind of.
3: Uh, I think there's implicit, probably explosive, that they are looking for things like fraud, and they're selling their expertise in, in, right. in that
1: matter. Which people don't matter. Exactly. So, no. So, David, you're right in your point that, of course, doesn't. We're not talking about the normal loss and risk involved in investments, That obviously, I, I think, that's clear to every investor, and probably, in the, I'm sure, it's in one of those forms that there's risk involved. I, I they're actually, obligated you know, to say. I, I
0: don't think it is clear to lots of investors. I think, if anything <laughs> the last couple of years, segregating, separating out. Madoff and Stanford versus other people. Mm-hmm. Lots of folks are out there outraged that they lost money. Mm-hmm. Period. <laughs> and they want to blame their investment advisors. Mm-hmm. Where they were very happy when it was going up, fifteen or twenty or forty-two percent a year, and now went down, and it's all somebody else's fault. Right. So I, 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 I don't think it's clear to people. I think people generally sign up with the both sophisticated and unsophisticated my experience with people is they've signed up for the good times but not for the bad. And when it turns bad, they're looking for somebody to blame. can't be them.
1: That's, I think that's true in all aspects of life. But, uh, yeah. but you're right. I mean, but I, I don't think anyone can seriously say he didn't realize there was any risk in the markets. I, mean, I think people bring lawsuits they might against, say that, against brokerage
3: firms and against
0: investment advisors and everybody they can find when the yeah. markets you,
2: turn down.
3: Uh, independent uh, money managers—they're uh, known to take the money and then buy investments, usually m- a money market. I mean, uh, mutual funds from families of funds. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- are you saying then that the integrity and honesty of that family of funds is the obligation of the money manager to now? Is that is that?
1: To a certain sense, if you're giving, what well, at least according to Jewish law, what we're saying is, according to this opinion, if you're giving them the money solely relying on their, on their discretion as to what's considered a good fund, meaning, not, again, not your standard risk. If there's we're talking about in a situation where there was a fraud, where something happened to the fund that they invested. Something other than the standard risk. Money managers are not, are not uh, really doing any diligence to check out sales. That's, the that's what we're, we're
3: saying also, is it, you, is it the up the to the uh, investor
4: problem there you know, these, is, fund these managers? are i work for funds ubs funds. i invest in a lot in of these funds, funds
3: overlap what they do
4: you can get i won't go to morgan stanley <laughs> uh, so i sell vanguard or, or other of,
3: of funds they cover the same things but they get kickbacks from certain families of funds and you'll see many times we've had clients come to us and and they say well look what we have and we think and i say well did you know that your money manager Above the fee you were getting, was getting X you know, percent from from the family of funds. No, we didn't know that. And there's the same type of fund that you, that has lower fees because they're not paying. So there, there's a lot of. Um, to more, me, that, that, more. that that's the more, that's the more common ethical problems. You know, Madoff and Stanford are, are exceptions and outliers. But but it's the day-to-day things that are very very common that uh, are to the uh, disadvantage of, of average investors and. and
1: that's extremely common. And so which private that So What's extremely common?
3: That, that, that people don't get the best returns because their money managers pick funds that give them uh, better kick kickbacks.
4: Tax. Essentially, I mean, that's what you're saying. Not, they're really not independent money managers. Like if I work for UBS, right. I'm going to sell everybody UBS funds, and I'm not. I won't even look at Morgan Stanley funds, right? Right. So if I if I'm an investor and I really don't realize that whatever my investment advisor says to me is going to be what's on his list to sell. You know you're 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 in the dark because I mean right. you're you're not open to everything in the market and that's like the independence. I would, of would it. add to
0: that most people think that when they're calling UBS and the guy on the other end is knowledgeable, mm-hmm. they don't know anything. He's, I mean they are sales a and all they have <laughs> is whatever somebody in <coughs> research mm-hmm. sent them that day. So I know a guy who. One of the big firms has been doing this 35 years. I'm not sure he knows how to turn on his computer, <laughs> but you know he's got a line. He, he has a morning line of what that big firm has told him to sell, and of course, it's all their product. But that's standard in the industry. And that's standard,
4: but, pe- I mean, but really people is. people don't realize. People don't
0: that. realize when they call, you, just what you right. said, when you call the gatherer,
3: UBS. Right. A gatherer, gatherer is not necessarily an analyst. You right. Know, right. You're, you're, you're going yeah. to get whatever yeah, UBS is
4: pushing right. that day. This is the norm. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. because, that, that, I mean, I I, would, I trust my money with UBS because I see them, I mean, it's like the biggest bank, let's say. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't I give my money to UBS? But little do I know, it's... They're only going to sell me five UBS funds, right. mm-hmm. and they're going to take five percent of that money somewhere right. else. There's a,
3: there's a way to shift the money
4: from
1: you that. <laughs> right, so, that is, so that's so that's a problem. And there's also <laughs> what Gold,
4: Goldman Sachs does.
1: But again, so you, and you're saying most people won't know that when they're calling you. you yes, yeah, they won't know. No UBS,
4: that. like Goldman Sachs, they were selling. You know, they could be selling like a mortgage-backed fund, right? You know, really saying, "Oh, this is a great product; it's going to go up." And then, on behind the scenes, you see them betting against their own product that they're selling. So you don't—you really don't know what's going on behind their the closed okay, doors. But
0: see, they're—they're they're a market maker. They're—they're they're, they're the casino. They're making money whether you're betting black or red. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Right. But it yeah. Depends how they say. If, if they say that,
3: and it's clear, that's fine. But if they say it to the Buy this. This is a great investment. You want to be in these mortgage-backed securities, and and in the back they're they're betting against
0: it. That they're selling to sophisticated buyers on, on both ends.
3: When when, yeah, but when you I would love to be the lawyer for, for the people who bought
1: those products. When you call <laughs> it's UBS, hiding, it's hiding the information that is the problem. Hang on. When it's you like call UBS principle. and you bought a
0: thousand telephone this morning, mm-hmm. somebody else went short mm-hmm. at the exact same time. Was, was UBS under any obligation? Yeah, to but, tell U- you no, that? but UBS, UBS, UBS is no, no, no. But
4: UBS isn't. If, if I'm sell if I tell you I, I have a great investment opportunity, give me a, a hundred thousand dollars, and you say sure, and then I turn around and I, I bet against that own product, me personally. I mean, there's a conflict of interest there, and I'm not. I mean, I just got. I just told you it was a great investment, and then I bet against it. That's
0: uh, okay. I think it's a great investment. Um, but Sally, I think it's that. a great investment, but Sally thinks it's, it's the other way, and so Sally just shorted it.
4: Yeah, but that's Sally coming to me, right? Absolutely. That, that's different, but what I'm saying,
0: I personally... Paul, Paulson went to Goldman and said, I want to go short on all this, and Goldman said, okay, that sounds good to us. But then,
3: but then what you're going to find is Goldman went short with Paulson their minds that afternoon? While, after while they're or? telling you buy these because these are good, They change their
4: minds that afternoon? But could, yeah. should that person tell yeah. you to buy it? If I advise you to buy something and then I turn around and do the exact opposite, yeah. I'm gonna. I mean, you have to see that there there is an ethical thing there. I didn't give you good advice if I told you it's a great investment and then I turn around and bet against it.
0: I don't think that people understand that Goldman is just the house. They are the casino. They're, they take black, red, and everything in between. They're on all sides of
4: every trade. But I think it's Goldman playing as the house with the, uh, a a deck of cards. That, that they, they <laughs> <want. Yeah. laughs> they're on the other side. Huh? Well, they're not. the they're house. Not the the, the house. question then is:
2: Is that fair? And is that ethical in the market? And and is it worthy of taking an, a hard look at all this practices and and uh, and regulating it? You know, are, Sure, want, they all want to make
1: money, I can understand that. Right, so again, the question, it might not be ethical, it's, I, I don't know enough about it, it doesn't sound too ethical to me, but the question is that that doesn't make them liable. And just because something's not ethical, it might be a little, doesn't, doesn't mean that there's liability, and unless again, of course, if they regulate it, and they change the rules, that's something else, once they make a law. But as far as, here what we're talking about, it's a question of liability. Are they liable if it goes bad? Are they liable to pay the investor? That's really the question. So it's not, it might not be ethical, but it doesn't mean they're liable. It's two different questions. So I want to make it clear. I think David's point would be it's kind of like a Walmart analogy. Like they could sell really fattening food
3: and they could have a clinic in their store as well. Right? <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I, I understand the point, but I see Y'all's point as well. It's, I mean, it really is. I mean, they could sell one person that <clears throat> this type of investment's not good for you, and tell you that, I mean, it's, to a degree, it's good. I see you guys would say, well, no, no, how can well, you I do. think the real issue is the disclosure. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 thank you. you. I, I, thank you, you. you. We, we built this for, for Paulson. It's for designed. You. He thinks right. it's going to fail. We're and, saying it uh, over and here. I think you're absolutely fine. right. Yeah. I think,
2: it,
0: it, I think the, the, the real and only issue is disclosure. Yeah. If they said, Brian, this is good for you, and Lydia, this is good for you, You're building a balanced portfolio, and this may meet a need you have. This may meet a need you have. As long as it's all disclosed, then I think that's curative. Then I think everything, everything, then they can sell all sides of the box.
1: Okay, so we're running out of time. We're actually out of time, so let's finish off here. So, this is uh, like I said, the question clearly doesn't sound too ethical. like we said, just giving bad advice is probably prohibited, assuming you're knowing, again, you're intentionally giving bad advice. The question again would be, thank you, the question would be, um, is there liability, is there um, judicial recourse, is there a way to retrieve that money? again? So in this scenario, obviously there isn't legally, at least yet, you're saying they might change the rules, so we have to pray for that but uh but let's get back to this to focus here just what are these some of the other we're, factors we're Rabbi, yes
0: not all of us necessarily want to pray for that so
1: we're, we're okay.
0: careful okay okay we might but gotcha. we offer up prayers to god on that let's be a little cautious there
1: um so so again the the four criteria um which can determine this reliance factor which is again one is explicit expression of reliance one is according to another opinion apparent reliance an example of that would be let's say the broker came to the person you know, and told them, you know, we, want, we want you to invest with us, because they took the initiative, which again would, and they're telling you, Wait, you know, we'll take care of your money. Obviously, there's, that's a context where there's gonna be reliance without explicit, um, let's say, in the contract. Then there's, of course, there's a question, like you mentioned before, which is the expertise of the advisor, meaning if the person is clearly a very clear expert, so obviously you could assume according to this opinion, that the person would be relying on that expert as opposed to, like you're saying, let's say like you, who are educated and you know the USB guy is not UBS, sorry, UBS is not, they're not necessarily someone to rely on, so then there's no assumption of reliance there based on their lower expertise. Um, And there's another opinion that says anytime you're paying the advisor, automatically that's the assumption of full reliance on the advisor and therefore Therefore, there would be liability. Um, that would be the way to to calibrate um, reliability. Which the last one, by the way, is just as far as, like I said, there's so many opinions here. What we do in normative um, halacha today. Mm-hmm. So there are those that say that since there's so many of these opinions, we really there's no legal recourse because we don't know who who um, is correct as far as the you know how to ascertain and calibrate this liability um, and and this. Uh, this reliance factor, but there are others who say that really any time you're dealing with an expert who's getting paid, then automatically there's going to be liability. So basically there's no clear answer. Um, what to do practically, I don't know. Um, you have to speak to your local railway. Um, but uh, just as far as interesting, you mentioned before... Um, as far as the concept that you were saying you were doing, you're sort of like a, a you're taking their money and you have power of attorney, so to speak, do whatever you want with their money.
3: It's in a fund. Right. It's, it's, yeah, it's no,
1: a, they're basically giving you their, right. their money and saying you, so, so there is another aspect which I didn't address here, which is there's a concept in Judaism called shlichut, which is basically if I make someone a messenger um, to do something for me, so then there's, there's a whole different form of liability because they're in a certain sense considered like me. So, I didn't, I didn't focus on that today, but I I don't know. I have to, have to do some more research. In your case, it might, there might be a certain sense of more liability, Mm -hmm. because if they're sort of, they're telling you this is your, you are me, Mm -hmm. so to speak. They're not just asking for advice. That's a whole different concept, which might have actually more, um, more serious levels of, right, right. You're acting on their behalf, exactly. So that's, that could be a whole different picture.
0: From the Jewish Ethics Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j-ethics.org.
2: Shalom.